Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The issue of our soul's eternal destiny is a serious one, one that we can't afford to be wrong about. It would do us all well to stop for a moment, think back over our lives, and ask ourselves a question. Am I really saved? Am I sure that all is well with my soul? Has there been a time in my life when I came to the Lord as a lost, hopeless sinner and trusted Him as my personal Savior? Of course, as we teach here at Anchor Point, Salvation is not a complicated process, not a problem to figure out or a work to be done. Salvation is a gift from God, given to sinners who acknowledge their sin and admit their need. The work's been done by another, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But sometimes doubts may arise. We may get our eyes on ourselves and wonder if all really is well. In today's broadcast, Speaker Michael Penfold discusses just this issue, the problem of doubts. What can we do about them? How can we be certain that our soul is really saved? We trust that his explanation of the work of Christ, the Word of God, and the witness of the Holy Spirit will help you to become more grounded in your Christian faith. And if you have never repented of your sins and confessed Christ as your Savior, we trust that Mr. Penfold's message will enable you to see the vital issues involved and that you will accept God's offer of salvation even today. Today we're dealing with the subject of assurance of salvation. If it's possible to literally end up at the throne, the great white throne, and think, I was fully expecting to be in heaven, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you, then the question is, how can I really know that I really am saved and I really am going to heaven? A surprising number of people have terrible doubts about salvation. Some people live with doubts throughout their whole life. That's not necessary and not advisable. And certain personalities are more prone to doubts than others. So let's just see what the Word of God has to say about assurance. Just to get us going with the reading, Romans 8 verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now in relation to assurance, there are three main strands that we can think of. The work of Christ, the word of God, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Easy to remember and worth memorizing. The work of Christ secures salvation and the assurance of salvation. The word of God settles salvation and our assurance of salvation. And the witness of the Holy Spirit, as we have just read, seals to us the assurance of salvation. Some years ago, 
Dear Brother, read a very interesting booklet called Safety, Certainty and Enjoyment. Many have been saved through that book. Many have received assurance through that book. You could put those three titles of that book over these three headings. Safety. The work of Christ makes me safe. Safe from judgment. Safe from hell. Why? Sheltered under the blood. Brought into the blessing of security and safety in the hiding place in the Savior's side. Safety. But you could be safe and on the way to heaven, but not be sure of it. So how can I be not only safe, but sure? Safety? Certainty. I can have certainty because God says in his word, Christ died for me, and that settles it. So safety through the work of Christ. Certainty through the word of God. Enjoyment. Enjoyment. Mind you, it's a wonderful thing to enjoy your salvation. For some people, Christianity is a terrible dirge. It's all about duty. But we need to move beyond duty to delight and enjoy salvation. Despite the many things that will buffet us, safety through the work of Christ, certainty through the word of God, and enjoyment as we live in the blessing and benefit of the Spirit of God dwelling within, witnessing with our spirit through the scriptures, through the experiences of life, through answers to prayer, and so on and so forth, we have that assurance in our so, again, to revisit these three points, when we're thinking of the work of Christ, we're thinking of something that's done for me. Entirely the responsibility of the Lord Jesus, the work of Christ for me. Mind you, that's a wonderful thing. I'm always listening to those two words when someone tells me they've got saved. To come to that appreciation that Christ died for me. Not for everybody. Not for the whole world. Yes, that's true. But to come to that appreciation, it was for me, the sinner. That's the work of Christ for me. But assurance comes through the word of God to me. As I read the scriptures, the word of God comes to me. More than likely at the same time in salvation. It's an appreciation of the work of Christ for me. But I get that from the word of God to me. As I read in the scriptures, he was wounded for my transgressions or whatever verse it was that helped you. Now, you may not have had a verse. Don't panic about that. It doesn't say in the Bible you need a verse to get to heaven. Some people have been saved through a hymn. Some people have been saved not thinking about any verses or any hymns. But ultimately, it's what the Word of God says that gives assurance. And finally, the witness of the Spirit within me, so that there is within me the fruit of the Spirit and the joy that comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit within. Now, let's just think of an example of this. Perhaps the best example, the most classic used example, is the Passover. I want you to imagine two homes. Both have blood on the door. Now you need to follow this example. This will be a big help to you if you're doubting your salvation. Both houses have blood on the door. What does that mean for the firstborn? That means that the firstborn is absolutely safe. Because the instructions were given. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So we can look back 3,500 years later and we can say... Well, we can see the blood on those doors. Those people are all right. No need to worry about them. We need to start panicking about these boys down the road. They haven't done the blood on the door yet. But actually, were you to go into those homes at five to midnight, the eldest son, let's say it's an eldest boy in each house, the eldest son in this particular house with the blood on the door, he's as happy as Larry. He's eaten the roast lamb. He's got his clothes on. He's ready to run. He can't wait to get on the road out of Egypt. He's just perfectly relaxed and happy. He's got the blood on the door, even though he's the oldest, no questions. Ah, 
but it's a different story in the house next door. The oldest son in the house next door is in an awful state. He's trembling. He's panicking. He's in an awful twist. And the sweat's on his brow, and he can see the whites of his eyes. He, he's panicking. Which one's safer? The, well, they're equally safe, are they not? Why are they safe? Because they've got the blood on the door. So what's the problem with this boy in this house that's panicking? But you see, the problem is this. It was the lamb's blood that made them safe. But they had to believe that God had actually said to Moses, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And if they weren't really sure that that's exactly what God said, then how could they be absolutely sure that when the angel of death came through the land, they would be secure? And so in the Passover, it was the blood of the lamb that made them safe. But it was the word of God through Moses that made them sure they were safe. So the fellow in the house that's perfectly relaxed, he's able to say, the blood makes me safe. The word makes me sure. The promise, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. That's the word. That word, that promise from God, I can relax. How do you really know it's true? Well, if that's not true, there's no angel of death either. Because the same God that said the angel of death is coming is the same God that said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And so it is with salvation. There could be somebody in the room today. There are many Christians. Perfectly safe. They've trusted in Christ. They've come to understand that he died for them at the cross. There's no problem with the fact that they're a lost, bankrupt sinner. They've taken all that on board and they've launched themselves by faith upon the personal work of Christ. But every now and again, mind you, there's a wee doubt comes along. They're sitting in a solemn gospel meeting. And it's not, not a bad thing to uh, just check up every now and again. But they're, they're, they're sitting in a gospel meeting or maybe they hear a testimony and it sounds, my story is not quite as strong as theirs. And, and it all starts to look back. Did I really believe enough? And, and everything turns inward. No, we don't want to turn inward. It's the blood that makes us safe. It's the word that makes us sure. There's another story. Do you remember the nobleman in uh, John chapter 4? The nobleman in John chapter 4 lived in Cana. The Lord Jesus was in Capernaum. And this man's son is dying. And this nobleman comes from Cana to Capernaum to meet the Lord Jesus. And he says, come to Cana. My son is dying. Please come before he dies. And the Lord says to him, go thy way. Thy son liveth." Notice what it says in verse 15. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken. He couldn't see his son. Son's in another town. All he's got is the word. But he's quite happy. He believes it. And he's on his way down and he finds it all to be the case. So, in relation to salvation, it is the blood that makes us safe. It is the word of God that makes us sure we are safe. So our faith sometimes is weak and sometimes frail and sometimes we would get ill. And sometimes believers, even on their deathbed, start to get awful doubts when they're ill because of the weakness of the flesh. And faith can be a weak kind of a thing. And faith turns around and gets his eyes off the facts and looks at feelings and starts to think, well, my feelings are not too good today. And at that point, when you're not looking in the right direction, you start to wobble too. And so what does faith have to do? Faith has to keep its eye on Christ, on Christ crucified, on the person, on the work of the Lord Jesus, the objective truth that Christ died for me that the work was done, that the work was finished. It never was anything to do with me. I can't get it by works. I can't keep it by works. It's perfectly and only of Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. Keep my eye on Christ. Life will come and batter us and blow us. But keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Isn't that what happened to Peter in the storm? Took his eyes off the Lord Jesus. Looked at the waves and he began to sink. 
So that brings us to these three great words. Three great words. The word are, A-R-E, the word have, and the word know. Three great words. This is what the word of God has to say to us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace are you saved. Isaiah 53 and 5. Through his stripes we are healed. Not we can be, not we might be. We are. Taking into consideration the fact that I'm a sinner. Taking into consideration that the perfect work and person of Christ on the cross, through his stripes, I am. It's a present possession. Through his stripes, we are healed. This is a wonderful word. To actually have that present possession. Are. But not only that lovely word, but the word have. This is a great word. It was um, the evangelist Frank Knox, who was saved through John 3 and 36. Indeed, there was a poem written about it. No doubt some of the Irish friends here could recite it to us. This great poem about Frank Knox's experience. He struggled to get saved for a long time. He went to a place called Letterkenny in Northern Ireland. There in Letterkenny, he was given the job of tiring a roof or painting a roof. And up on this roof every day, he would struggle with the concept of salvation. He'd been to meetings. He'd heard the gospel. Couldn't get to Christ. And he couldn't understand the way. And he's on the roof of this shed or this barn or whatever it was every day. And one day his sister writes him a letter, or his cousin, a lady anyway. And he got this letter, and he took it up with him to the roof. And he's painting away up the roof, and then he stops and has his sandwiches and paints away a bit more. And then he says, well, I need to read this letter from my cousin. He takes the letter out, and all about salvation. And there's tracks in there, and he's thinking, where am I ever going to get this salvation? My eyes are sore crying, my knees are sore praying. How am I ever going to get salvation? And he gets down to the bottom of the letter, and here's a verse, John 3 and 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And he looks at the verse, and oh, there's that verse again. But she's underlined the word hath. She must want me to to look at this word hath. This is a tremendous word. He that believeth on the Son hath. And he says, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing. I don't have. I don't feel a whole bit better for believing. But the verse doesn't say, he that believeth on the Son will feel a whole bit better. The verse says, he that believeth on the Son, ha, everlasting life. And he said, it just came to me like this. There at the cross 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus died for Frank Knox, and he that believeth hath. Frank Knox, after all this struggling, there it is in the word of God, he that believeth hath. He that believeth on the Son, hath. That's a great word, hath. To know that you have it, that's the best blessing of all, to know that you have. Are saved? Have eternal life? Here's a great word. No. No. Can you know you're saved? Why, certainly you can. The Apostle Paul, he knew you were saved, did he not? For he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, I know whom I have believed. Didn't the Apostle John know? He says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 12, These things have I written unto you that ye might know that ye have eternal life. Didn't Job know? Oldest book in the Bible, I know, he says, even if worms destroy this body, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Didn't Peter know? For as much as ye know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You will meet people, and if you say to them, you know you're going to heaven, what will they say to you? Oh, that's presumptuous. I could never say that. That sounds so proud. No, no. The opposite of that is true. If the Bible says you can know, but you doggedly, stubbornly say, oh, but you can't, it's you that's being presumptuous. 
The Word of God makes it absolutely clear. You can know. It's possible to know. It's vital to know. It's wonderful to know. And know you can. See, it all goes back to this middle one here, the Word of God. In the Safety, Certainty, Enjoyment book, there's a wonderful illustration of a person sitting in a home one day and a man comes to the door and announces an event that's happened in town. I forget exactly what the event is, but it's somebody like someone's broken into a shop or something. And uh, this man comes in and says, Oh, have you heard? Someone's broken into a shop in the town. And off they go. And the mother of this boy turns to him and says, Well, what do you think of that? Well, that fellow says, he says Well, he says, he's a, he's a notorious storyteller. I wouldn't really go by that. Then, ten minutes later, another man comes to the door. And he says, There's a man broken into the store down in the town and stolen a whole lot of stuff. And off he goes. And the mother turns to this boy and he says, Well, do you believe it now? He said, Well, he says, That's quite interesting. Two people should say the same thing. But he says, That fellow's a bit, um, he's a bit unreliable. But then, the next thing, there's a policeman comes to the door and knocks on the door and he says, I'm just calling in the neighborhood to let you know there's a terrible robbery taking place down in the town. You need to be careful. There's a man about. I'm not sure who he is yet, but we're on the case. So just bear that in mind. Such and such a shop has been robbed. And the, away the policeman goes, and the mother turns to the son and says, Well, do you believe it now? Oh, he says, I believe it now. All right. And he said, Well, what makes the difference? You see, it's the character of the person. It's because this fellow was a, a known policeman, a, a, an established member of the community, a solid civil servant who has never ever been known to lie in the past there's always a got a a proper story to tell with the evidence to back up if he says it it must be true so each of the three characters that came said exactly the same thing but only one was worth believing because of who he was and because of his history of telling the truth you see when it comes to salvation we're not dealing with the local policeman we're dealing with the eternal god who cannot lie Titus chapter one god cannot lie and he tells us in his word that Christ died for sinners. He tells us in his word, he that believeth hath. He tells us in his word, by his stripes we are healed. And if I stand there and say, well, I'm not sure whether I believe it or not, then we're calling God a liar. There was an evangelist many years ago. There are many, many stories told about D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody. The story is told that after a gospel meeting that Mr. Moody had taken, this fellow wanted to be saved. And in those days, they would have had what they called inquiry rooms and so on. This boy was in the back room somewhere with a Christian worker trying to help him get saved. And Mr. Moody is shaking hands with the people and after the meeting's over, he's walking past the very room where these two are sitting, this anxious fellow and and this Christian worker. And and Mr. Moody put his head into the door and he says, Well, how is he getting on? And the Christian worker in frustration looked at Mr. Moody and said, Well, he's, he's trying to believe. And Mr. Moody said, Who is he trying to believe? See the point? To not believe it is to call in question the character of the person. It's an insult to who they are. If they're a joker or a man off the street, yes. But when it comes to salvation, you're trying to believe? Trying to believe? Who are you trying to believe? And this comes down to the very character of God. Yes, the Word of God settles it. Not our feelings or self-satisfaction. Not our performance or our holding on. As Mr. Penfold illustrated in the Passover story, the work has been done. The firstborn was safe by virtue of the sacrifice made. And the Word of God was sure, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You see, through the work of Christ, 
we have safety. Through God's word, we have certainty. And through the witness of the indwelling Spirit of God, we have enjoyment. Remember the order, my friend, the work of Christ, the word of God, and then the witness of the Spirit. We trust that our message was a help to believers today and also to unbelievers who have been presented once again with the clear gospel message. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. 